traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos, Paphos, where they met the Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the, the proconsul Sergius Paul Barnabas and Saul because he proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that was what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Now let's just pause for a second, for con again, for context. A proconsul is, uh, is a Roman official who basically had jurisdiction over that, that district of the Roman Empire. And for this, this was the island of Crete. Now, uh, this type of individual, they were normally appointed by the Senate in Rome for a period of maybe one year or more, depending on the assignment. And they had total... Uh, this was a big deal guy. This was a Roman Gentile. Or, um, and talking about, uh, gosh, when, when Peter got the vision of do not call unclean what I have called clean, and they brought them up to this Roman official's, uh, the centurion, I can't even remember his name, uh, but w there's a lot of people who are of high influence in the Roman world that are being converted to Christianity, and you see the intentionality of God that he is bringing these people of high regard and high influence unnerve his gospel and know his truth, and that had to have been very unnerving for the Jewish believers and the Jews because these were the oppressors, and yet God is, in his love and grace, giving them the gospel, and they're responding to it. So here we have this, this proconsul who's this high official and this Jewish sorcerer, Bar-Jesus, which means the son of, and Jesus is translated with, actually it's Joshua in the Jewish faith, but it can be translated as salvation or the God who saves. So you have this Jewish person who's called the son of the, God, of the God who saves, which was the Jewish nation. This is important to note. And he's trying to oppose what's being given to the Gentiles. Do you see it? Okay. So, then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. So it's interesting that although his name means the son of salvation, the son of the God who saves, Paul says directly, you are a son of the devil. Like saying your name is not accurate to who you are. <laughs> you are actually not for God. You are of the devil. And he says this to him, looking him straight in the eye, and he says, stop perverting the right ways of the Lord. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now let's just pause there for a second, because there's so many significant things just in the first several verses. As we were talking about, you know, again, this guy who was named the son of salvation is trying to oppose the gospel being shared, salvation being shared to the Gentiles, you know, just absolutely contradicting his name. And if you notice, he is struck very similarly to the way Paul was as Saul on the road to Damascus. And it's interesting to me because we can see things that happen. It's also interesting to note, this is blind a person just like he had been stricken blind was to strike blind a person just like he had been stricken blind. There's a symmetry here that I don't want us to miss because 
I think sometimes when we see these severe acts that, that sometimes happen in the scripture, and it, it happened with Ananias and Sapphira, and it, happened, it happens often when the Lord is doing something that could be considered discipline, and it's hard for us to kind of get our mind around the God of love who would strike someone blind. But there's a few things that in, in just studying this and, and praying about this with the Lord, I think the Lord was just kind of putting on my heart what may have been one of Paul's motivations because I understand in my own life, and maybe this will resonate with some of you, when the Lord does something in my life, revelation of him, I want to share that. Like, I bring me to revelation of him. I want to share that. Like, I want others to have a similar experience that changed and transformed my life. And we see in the life of Paul that he was, I mean, he, he was probably worse than this sorcerer opposing the work of God. He was murdering the Christians. He was oppressing them. And Jesus himself shows up and says, why are you oppressing me? And strikes him blind. But what is, he is saved and brought not only into the family of faith, filled with the salvation, saved and brought not only, in, will become the one of the greatest evangelists and biblical, will become the one of the greatest evangelists and biblical authorities there has ever been. Yeah, sometimes there's a severe gift that happens, a severe act from the Lord, but what fruit comes out of that can be transformative and amazing. So we look at this moment, and I can't help but think that Paul is seeing some of his own history in this sorcerer. Uh, uh, no commentary said that. This is just Drew you know, the, the emotionally intelligent Drew, the relationally-minded Drew going, man, I wonder. I wonder if God did not, because he was giving back the gift miracle, not only because he was giving back the gift of rebuke and discipline, but he's also shutting him that transformed his life. But he's also shutting down this opposition to the gospel working. It does so many things here that is that's such symmetry to what God did in Paul and although we don't really have a record of what happened with this guy, and certainly this guy had free will, he could have stumbled along blind for his entire life, or maybe he repented. And maybe God used that experience just like he did in the life of Paul to transform this man into a powerful, powerful advocate for the gospel. It wouldn't be the first time God has done that, right? In fact, we can see that kind of movement of God, how he does that, all throughout the history of the church, even to current day. Like that, to wonder about the character and nature of God, how he could be so mean. Wonder about the character and nature of God, how he could be so mean. But discipline is not mean. Discipline is love. And Paul certainly knew that firsthand. And so there was something really beautiful about, about the symmetry of this, that this is how not only God chose to give Paul the authority to do this first miracle, but that what I wonder was the result if this guy humbled himself and took the discipline as correction and then pursued the Lord after that because he, see, he clearly was a person who knew the faith and this could have been a catalyst to transform this individual's life. We don't know. That's a question for Jesus when I get up. I've got a list and I have a lot of them. Good thing we have eternity. I've got a list. Do any of you have a list like that? Yeah. I mean, the platypus. Why, Lord? Why? So anyway, moving on. Elimus symbolized something here as well that we see happening in the trajectory of the church and the move of God. He symbolized the Jewish people. He symbolized the Jewish people in such a way that the Jewish people 
not the Jewish believers, but those who were opposing Jesus and opposing the work, they, they also had been because the Jews were the sons of salvation. They were chosen by God. The Jews were the sons of salvation. They were chosen by God throughout the history of time to bring the Savior. I mean, I talked about it in my last message where God promised Abraham, Abraham way back in Genesis that God was going to bring through his people and bless all of the world in salvation through it. That was the Abrahamic covenant that he, that he brought. So the Jewish people were the sons of salvation. This guy literally bore that name, and God is showing us something about the change in trajectory, the discipline that's happening there that I don't want us to miss. Because we can read stories like this in symmetry there that I don't want us to miss. Because we can read stories like this. Amen? Okay. So. Okay. So. Let's actually jump into that for a second. Because I'm going to forget if I don't. We see that as Paul did this, this miracle, blinding Bar-Jesus, Elias, it is symbolic of his work within the Jewish people. You see this in Romans 11. Let's jump to Romans 11 real quick. If you have a moment to do that quickly, you can, or you can just listen. As Paul is addressing the Gentile, uh, 11 starting at, of this, uh, 11 starting at, at 11, it says this again, did they stop in Jesus and rejected the gospel? Not at all, rather, because of their Jesus and rejected the gospel. Not at all, rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that, with, that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them for doing and does. What will their to the world, which we see that it is doing and does, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the whole batch is holy, if the root is holy, so are the branch roots is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. And he goes into this. This analogy, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap of the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. He did not spare the natural branches, he arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. There's a warning here to you, Gentile. Do not think that God, gift of salvation that's been brought to you, Gentile, do not think that God has forgotten his chosen people, Israel, as well. Do not get so prideful. That's a good lesson for us. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut off of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature, were grafted in the natural branches, be grafted, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do 
not be conceited. Israel of this ministry, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn goodness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, these are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gift and his call are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, you have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy over to disobedience. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all of them. And that's weighty. Like this is weighty, but this is the this is Paul later basically describing what we're seeing happen in Acts 13 as the Jews continue to reject the gospel and the Gentiles and even in this in the family of faith and given salvation and even in this in the end believe that Paul in his experience is preaching do not die in his experience is preaching do not die in his experiences preaching saw this over and over again that the Jews that were committed to this misguided belief that they were the ones who only could receive salvation and that the Gentiles were unworthy of it. As God continued to bring Gentiles in, the Jews began to get really jealous and some were stoked to accept the word and some closed their hearts off to it. But the beautiful thing about God that we all have to remember is God works in the big and the little. He does things in the macro that are true in the micro as well, meaning like big picture, God is using his His story with the Jewish thousands of years, but it also plays out, out on the big picture over thousands and thousands of years, but it also plays out individually in our own lives too. And when we see this, he is working to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, but he will never forget his chosen people. He will graft them back in. Okay, we're going to get off that tangent for a second, and we're going to continue in Acts 13. So verse 13, from Pamphylia, where John sailed, to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, again, this is John Mark, and this is a very significant moment that takes this, like, little byline in Scripture, but it's such a significant moment. John left the ministry of Paul and Barnabas to go back to Jerusalem, and later we look, like, in um, Acts 15, which we'll get to in a few weeks, um, God willing, we see that Barnabas wants to invite John Mark back in, and Paul won't have any of it. Now, there's speculation of what happened here, but there was this rift that happened eventually that caused Paul and Barnabas to separate out and Paul to take on Silas and Barnabas to take on John Mark and go their own separate ways. Now, later on in the history of the, of the movement, we see that Paul is reconciled to... There's speculation on Mark, and everything's good, but there's a definite break here, and there's speculation in the commentaries of what could have caused such a snarky response from Paul where he was like, so much that happens out of you, you know? And there's, you know, there's so much that happens that we don't see in the recount in Acts because... You know, the author of Acts is very succinct. He's not telling all the details. He's summarizing things. But in these missionary journeys, we have to understand it was dangerous and it was fraught with peril and it took a lot longer than just a few sentences to accomplish it. And Paul 
as well as probably his companions, God, this happened. And it could have been malaria. Or it could have been something else. It's recorded in Galatians that this happened. And it could have been malaria. Or it could have been something else. But I go back to home. Did he get homesick? Did he just, you know, not commit to the full, you know, journey? Did he just, you know, not commit to the full, you know, journey with Paul? Or did he start getting just like a lot of other believers? And we see this tension happen with the disciples that, they're uncomfortable, too, with what God is doing for the Gentiles and feeling jealous of God's work in the Gentiles and want to go back just to serve the Jewish people. Whatever it was, it was significant enough for Paul that he didn't want to have that on his team anymore. And so when Barnabas, who was, uh, you know, so it, it was tension. Everybody along, you know, did that. Paul's like, uh-uh, you know, so it, it was tension. Whatever it was, this is a significant moment Verse 14, from story. Verse 14, from Perga, they went down to Pisidion, Antioch, not Antioch on, uh, on the coast, but further up into what's now modern-day Turkey, close to Galatia, that area. Uh, <clears throat> and they entered the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word saying, Brothers, if you have had a word of exhortation for the people, please speak common practice when traveling teachers entered a synagogue in a city, they would give them a place to speak, place, you know, place of honor to, to share. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hands and said, fellow Israelites, you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Egypt, with mighty power, he led them out of that country for about 40 years. With mighty power, he led them out of that country for about 40 years. He endured their conduct in the wilderness. Really diplomatic way of saying he put up with their crap in the wilderness. <clears throat> and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. Now, what we're seeing Paul begin to do here is he's presenting the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles that were there. And he's starting way back in the his history of Israel to help them understand where a stiff-necked came to save them from. The Jewish people were a stiff-necked, often disobedient people. And when he said he endured their that Israel committed in the wilderness, the new, the sins that Israel committed in the wilderness, the severe discipline that God did in the wilderness, and moving forward even into the land. And Paul does this job as he's presenting the gospel account to these people of really making sure that they understand how much they need salvation because of their history and because of the history of the people. So with that context, we'll continue to go on. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. And Samuel the prophet was the prophet who bridged the gap between the time kind of realm. Then the people, he was in that, that kind of realm. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul. Saul, he made David their king. God ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to. From this man's descendants, God brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Now, I'm, again, I need to stop here because we need to see it a little bit again. God never wanted the people of Israel to be ruled by an earthly king. He wanted to be their ruler. When they came out of Egypt and into the Sinai Desert and God gave them through Moses the Ten Commandments, God was trying to, he wanted them to be a nation of priests, meaning he, they would have face-to-face -face contact, them to be a nation of priests, meaning he, they would have face-to-face -face contact.
They were either relationship with God, and these Jews did not want that. They were either scared of it or didn't know how to handle that or didn't want that close-knit relationship where God got to speak into every detail of their lives. Anyone relate to that? Listen, you know me. I'm going to sit here and ask that again until we all raise our hands and go, yeah, I don't sometimes like God up in my business. Anyone relate to that? Oh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. As a pet, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Honestly, can I say something as a pastor and as some, a believer, a leader in the church, someone who is for myself, disheartening in my own life, I'll own it first for myself, but I'll also say it in the state of the church, how often we wait for the pastor to tell us what God thinks about us and what God knows about us and what God wants us to do rather than taking the invitation of God to get into the word of God, to listen to the Holy Spirit and have the God who has established face-to-face intimate relationship with us rather than of that relationship to the intimacy and sometimes the severity of that relationship. We do the same thing sometimes that they did. We want other people to be the spokesman, other people to tell us rather than to have the intimate relationship with God, which I'm going to tell you right now, no matter how good or how proficient or charismatic your pastor or your teacher is, they are no substitute for the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So don't think that, you know, don't leave. But also, don't trust me or anyone else up here to be your conduit for Jesus. There is no mediator between God and man other than Jesus. We are just doing our best to encourage you in your walk. But a coffee meeting is never going, or a counseling appointment, or a coffee meeting is never going to be your relationship with God that you take on for much fruit as your relationship with God that you take on for yourself. Amen? Drew, you're getting into meddling now. I know. Comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. I like that job too much sometimes. All right, so so again, they, they, did, they didn't want the face-to-face relationship, so what we see is they went from, you know, Give us laws to help guide us rather than your Holy Spirit and your presence to do, which didn't work out great. Give us judges to tell us what to do, which didn't work out great. Give us kings to tell us what to do, which give us the next televangelist. I mean, we could say in our world right now, give us the next televangelist or the next apologist or the next president. No, y'all, never going to work. So let's get back to us, extra gravy. For this man's descendants, God had brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John, again, pause. There, John was this bridge between the broken relation coming of Israel had with their with their God and the coming of the Savior and his central message was repentance. Now repentance is not something we talk about much in Christian culture in churches 
that much anymore. I, I, I started noticing that it was disappearing from Christian books and from messages probably about 10, 15 years ago. And, I'm, I'm, I, and this is not a fire and brimstone mo- you know, message. This is a pleading message from a pastor who sees the destruction that a lack of repentance has in the lives of believers. Repentant, healthy, mature faith and relationship with God. Because when we are not allowing faith and relationship with God, convict us of sins, dramatically creep in because of our own brokenness and our own rebellion and our own selfishness and our own pride and our own narcissism or whatever it is, those things that creep into our lives and dull us to hearing and receiving the correction of the Holy Spirit or the direction of the Holy Spirit, not even correction. When we are not living in submission to God, the, the ability to receive instruction from the Holy Spirit and clarity for our, our life is severely muted, which I think is one of the reasons why we keep, as a people, looking for the person to tell us what God is saying. So brace yourselves, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, as I have had to plead with my own heart multiple times this last week, let God search your heart and confront the things in your lives that are unworthy of the calling that he has given us. And again, I'm not, you know, it can be those things that we clearly know from the word of God are wrong. Or it can be things that are just creeping in, into our lives. It can be just that thematically we're not being obedient. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one thing, one example, and you can lynch me later for it. But one example, Christ called us to love each other as he loved us. That is not a suggestion it gives us life and meant. It gives us life and, and produces life in the church and in the world when we do that. But there are so many ways that we are tempted to be selfish and unloving. And I just want to ask anyone hearing this message, whether it be in person or through the recorded on the podcast, which I hope Andy remembered to do. Thank you, Andy. Examine in my interactions, because if I'm lovingly in my interactions, because if I'm not, I'm being disobedient, and I need to repent. I don't be the only thing I put, I mean, I, there's, I could, you know me, I could go on. I'm not going to. But we see in this narrative, as Paul is presenting the gospel, there's this turning point of repentance that is so important in the, be, in the ability to be able to receive the gospel. Because repentance, in the Hebrew understanding, repentance was a changing of your mind. In, in a pictorial sense, when the Hebrews talked about repentance, it's so beautifully demonstrated in the story of the prodigal son that Jesus taught as a relational like personal analogy to demonstrate pig's slop, out what the prodigal son experienced when he was eating the pig's slop out of the trough, when it says he came to his senses, he came to an understanding and a rea- reality point of where he was in his mind, in his rebellion, in his heart. He got clarity, and he said, you know, even the servants in my father's house are treated better than this. I will go back back to my father and repent not pursue of you come to your senses of where you are not pursuing to the father and that's not just 
in relationship. That is, you let your mind, and that's not just in relationship. That is, you let your mind and your thoughts and your decision be transformed by the sight you have on the Father. And it was beautiful, Christian, when, when we sang today and you talked about that sonship and that unworthiness because so often the reason we don't repent is we don't believe we'll have a father who will receive us back. And we don't believe that there's a father that actually loves us. And we struggle with this sense of sonship, but if we truly understood who we are in him, we would run our butts to the father. Like it says in the word that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. And so this idea of repentance that John was preaching, it wasn't uh, this thing of like, tell us all, tell God all your bad things. It was turn the wrong mindsets and the wrong, wrong choices and the wrong beliefs and the wrong mindsets and the wrong pursuits that you have and turn to the Father and see his heart for you and his mind for you and his call to you and run towards that. In the Greek, it was the word metanoia, which was literally this like, oh, I'm turning around and I'm going the other way. It was a turn around. But it all centered on this heart of pursuing the Father, his heart, his, with in which John says for us, with in which John said, my message is simply preparing the way for those two. When we're running the other, this great gift of salvation, because we can't really receive it when we're running the other direction. Paul goes on in uh, verse 26, fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead, down from the cross, and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. You have to understand something about this as well. The cross was so offensive to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. The cross represented just so much failure and so much shame and so much defeat to the Jewish people and the rejection, the oppression of the Romans and the, the punishment and the rejection and the alienation. And yet that is how God chose. And if the Jewish people had seen and understood and perceived the sacrifices that they were performing in the temple every day, they would have seen it clearly, but their hearts were hardened to it. And in their pride, they couldn't see because all they could see was the death. They didn't see the victory. They didn't see the defeat of death and sin that happened on the cross. And honestly, in a lot of Christian streams of, of belief, we still don't understand that this was victorious, not, not some other weird punishment from an angry God who just had to pour out all the wrath on Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him, not to endure the wrath of God, to conquer sin and death. And the Jewish people couldn't perceive it because they were too stuck. They weren't in right relationship with God. They should have been because they weren't in right relationship with God. They couldn't see what God's heart was and what he was doing. The Gentiles knew that 
people who died on crosses were criminals and fools. And so it was foolishness. The cross was foolishness. But Paul is giving this incredible reality that this is actually salvation. This is God conquering everything that's from everything that separated us from him, from face-to-face relationship with him. If we had to understand this is with Adam, and he's presenting it here, and then, of course, saying, and why Jesus rose from the dead and why he continued to do this is the physical demonstration that this did not defeat him. He is not a fool. He is our Savior. So he's sharing this with them. And I've lost my place. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now as witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalms, you are my son. Today I become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David so that it is holy decay. So he's, you will not, you will not let your holy one see decay. So he's quoting the scriptures back to help fill in the gaps of understanding to the Jewish people that this was not what they perceived it to be, but God's plan all along. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed, but the one whom God has raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness is set free from every sin, a justification for everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification that what the prophets had said does not happen to you. What the prophets had said does not happen to you. Verse 41, look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you which God had. And they didn't. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about the things in the next Sabbath. So clearly this is powerful. They're getting it. The Jewish people are beginning like, oh, this is we've we've missed something. They know it. We're going to listen more. If only followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged out converts to Judaism, followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. A Roman occupied Gentile city that had some believers in it. Now the whole city, all the Gentiles are coming. And what happens? When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Romans 11. They were jealous. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you rejected and do not consider yourselves the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has given Paul. We now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The harvest of the Gentiles is happening, and the Jews are pissed off and jealous. And rather than seeing the great gift that God was doing, they hardened their hearts in their pride and in their selfishness and in their deceit of their own minds, and they closed themselves off to God. 
Literally, they are darkened in their understanding, which is exactly what happened to Bar Jesus' sorcerer. This was an analogy for what was what the Jewish people were going to do. Their eyes were going to be closed. They were going to be blind to the salvation, the light of salvation that was available to them. They were blind to it. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the... I love this. Hold on. You got you to gotta see this is so funny. This is like one of those comical moments in, in the gospel accounts. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited, meaning stirred up to violence and to, um, you know, rebellion. First, the God-fearing women of high standing. I'm going to tell you what. If you ever want to start a riot, don't start with men. Get the influential women. I'm going to tell you something. Hell hath no fury. Like a, no, uh, that's not. But it's true. Like, engage emotion that men don't often have the same power and authority to do. Emotion that men don't often have the same power and authority to do. So the wisdom of the, these leaders like, okay, you know what we're going to do? We're going to find Janelle, and we're going to get her in here. And she knows. She would, you know. True story. Like, like we're going to get these women, and they're going to, like, uh, you, I know. <laughs> Has anyone ever seen the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Raise your hand if you've seen that movie. There is a line in that movie where the guy is like, the man is the head of the house. He's talking to her daughter, and she's like, the man. And then they turn to the woman, his wife, who's talking to her daughter, and she's like, the man might be the head of the house, but the woman is the neck, and she can turn that head wherever she wants. Amen. And it's right here in the word of God. So hallelujah. You know, so they incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they Iconium and the disciples were filled with them and went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit because they knew what their calling was. And they knew that God had appointed them to give the gospel to the Gentiles. And although the Jews were rejecting it, the Gentiles were in droves submitting their lives to the God who saves. Wow, chapter 13 in like 45 minutes, everybody. (laughs) And Romans 11. That's a double portion. I'm going to leave you with this a little bit before, but not, you know, turn or burn. This is not my message. What this is is... God has laid on my heart so, so heavily the concept and the spiritual discipline of repentance. And I want to challenge you guys. I want to challenge you to do what Psalms 139 verses 23 and 24 says. To make this, just try this for the next, I'm going to go for broke, for the next month. When you wake up in the morning, before you go to bed at night, or whenever you find the time in your day, I challenge you to do this. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says this. Make this your prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Essentially, God, if there's a place in my own perspective that I need to repent and turn from my own perspective 
and turn from my own selfishness, turn from my own wisdom and seek the face of the Father for the life everlasting that you have to give, God, show me. Now, that might feel like a dangerous prayer, and in one sense, it really is, because if you are in a place where you're headed in the wrong direction, I guarantee you, you offer that prayer to the Lord, he will tell you where you're wrong, and it might jack up your life for a bit, but in the best way. And that might be true of the direction of your life in any way. It might just be on the simple thing of your attitude, the permissions you give yourself in a relationship. It might be in just the permissions you give yourself to not engage with God. But I'm going to tell you this. We do not have spiritual maturity. We do not have intimacy with God. We do not have the life he intends us to lead if we do not practice the discipline of repentance. And it is not my job to tell you what to repent of. It is my job as one your heart to the God who can you in the name of Jesus to submit your heart to the God who can tell you exactly to bring you back in step with the Spirit and his leading for your life. And I don't in step with the Spirit and his leading for your life. And I don't think that we can underestimate how badly the church needs this right now. Can we be people who are known by the leading of God and not our own brokenness? Starts with repentance, because salvation and wisdom and intimacy and inheritance and everything that we would die to defend here hinges on, on our ability to follow the God who loves us and is right there waiting. And so that you know, God does not do it in your life if you do this over this next month, that he knows if you do this over this next month, that he knows exactly how to lead your heart and what you can handle and how to lead you in repentance. And you might think the job is done, but I'll tell you this, I've been a Christian for 40 years and there are still things in my life he is putting his finger on saying, repent of that, you dingbat. Okay, Father. You know, it's like, it doesn't end. It doesn't end. And our need for this will never stop. I say this because I love you. Don't be mad. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> God bless all of you. I'm going to pray real quick, and then I'm going to dismiss you. You're going to go to the kids because John is us to your heart. Jesus, bless your people. Lead us to your heart. Amen. See you all next week. <laughs>